And we are live with our 128th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Not joined my, by my co-host this week. Uh, Ken decided he needed a vacation. And so we're flying solo, and we're going to have a an episode with uh, Stefan and Dave, previous guests. Um, and I'm excited to have them here because we're all nihilists and, you know, everything's the worst. That's basically what it's going to boil down to um, because we don't have the positive can to lift everyone up right now. So, um, yeah, but by way of introductions, um, we've got David Corsi. David uh, recently changed positions. Um, I know he went from an industry position back into consulting. So we're going to dig into that for a little bit. Dave, say hi. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. And then we've got Stefan. If you don't know Stefan, then I, yeah, I don't know. Just, just get really Google out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been watching the podcast. Um, Dave is DA Corsi on Twitter, correct, Dave? Yes. Yeah, and Stefan is Logic Hill. And yeah, I, I think we'll just dive right into it. I did want to get to do one shout out. Um, we had Brian uh, Glass on, Professor Glass on, a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about the OWASP Top 10. The uh, survey is out for the community vulnerabilities or community risks, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if you've been watching Twitter feeds or anything like that, we'll, I'll post it up here shortly as well along with this, uh, with this episode. So you can go and actually give your feedback as to what you think those risks should be because they do pull a couple of those items from community involvement, not necessarily from the data itself. So... Go ahead and do that. Um, otherwise, yeah, we just wanted to jump straight into it. First thing, the biggest thing um, that we wanted to talk about today was PHP. So I don't know, Stefan, do you want to give us a quick rundown on what happened with PHP and you know where we're at with that before we and we can all you know express our opinions, I guess. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's pretty interesting, right? So someone noticed uh, some malicious code or, or some seemingly malicious code at the time. Um, they, they started digging through what the code did, effectively a backdoor in, in PHP. Um, and whilst tracing through in order to figure out like who, who had committed it, where it had come from, uh, effectively all signs pointed towards a, a compromise of, of PHP's GitHub infrastructure or Git infrastructure, excuse me, uh, which is fairly fascinating, right? Like, like supply chain stuff is in the news. CICD is in the news. Um, you know, we have various like large vendors in the news for this sort of thing. And now there's like an open source organization that powers still a huge percentage of the web. Uh, that is uh, in the news for the same thing for unfortunately very similar reasons. So it's it's fairly interesting, and the the backdoor itself is also fairly interesting as well. We can dig into that eventually, but just just how it got there is is amazing. Yeah. So I, well, and that was what I've got posted up on the screen right now is their response. Right. That's well, they're talking about changes to the 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 Git flow. And they're pushing everything to GitHub from their own hosted repository or their own hosted server. Um, but but how much has actually come out about what happened and who? I, I mean, it looked like the post was coming or the Git uh, request or the Git push was coming from one of the 
maintainers, right? That, that's the whole issue that they were having. Yeah, it, it looked like it came from uh, it came from uh, maintainers who should be pushing to it. Yeah, uh, and and we can get into this, but uh, like PHP was not using signed commits, so they didn't have GPG keys in order to like nope. this is actually Corsi or this is actually Stefan, uh, you know, pushing this commit, and they have access to private key material and. PGP and GPG are terrible, but we can talk about that further. But they they didn't have that sort of thing. It was just like, yeah, this this email address that we we use in Git uh, is pushing a commit, and we know about it, so we associate it with that person. Yeah, I, I mean, that, it, it's an interesting model, right? Like, I know we go back to Git, and we all depend on Git pretty heavily for code protection. Um, and I, I mean. And we need to separate out a little bit from GitHub versus mm -hmm. what is actually the Git protocol. But the Git protocol is pretty trusting, right? Like if I have a configuration, and I don't, like I don't know. Obviously, like I don't I don't know what happened here with PHP, right? Like I, you know, it, it's it'll be interesting to see what the investigation actually pulls out. But you know, when we post something up, if you're just doing Git internally on a system itself, all you need is that configuration file, and that's what it pulls from to tag a commit, right? Yeah, and and you can you can rewrite commits to be from other folks, right? So if you if you ever looked at Git's Git's rewriting history or rebasing, uh, yeah. you you can do all sorts of manipulations uh, against the tree to rewrite things as if they came from Seth, even though Corsi was the only person uh, doing work on, on that repository the entire time. So Git itself is not meant to, and I, I think this is where most people fail, Git itself is not meant to actually authenticate commits. It's basically just to say, this person at this time did this thing, but it, it makes no cryptographic, uh, yeah. you know, like attestation about about that fact. You know what I mean? It's not a security yeah. solution. Correct. Yeah, Git is not a security boundary. Git is a VCS that is meant to be used as a VCS. And you have to use external tooling for things if you want it to be a security boundary. Yeah. Now, well, it, has, yeah. it has that built in, but most people don't use uh, signed commits at all. No, I, I, I mean, it's not necessarily enforced, right? Like I, I think about my own, like my personal usage of GitHub specifically, right? And um, I know we're, we're, we're somewhat protected because of the way that we're, we're using it and, you know, SSH and the, you know, the keys that we're using there. But I think, and I'm like, man, we're not using signed commits, right? Like it's all mm -hmm. dependent on SSH or whatever else to identify me as the user that's actually pushing those commits. But there's not a lot of other requirements that are out there. Yes, we get saved quite a bit because of that. Um, but I'm wondering if there's other attacks that could happen against the protocol or against Git itself because of that, because of that lack of due diligence. Well, Git, Git's protocol only checks. So like when you push to a, a Git serve, right? Uh, like GitHub or, or some self-hosted one, it only checks the SSH key to make sure that you should have access to that repository. And then anything you push uh, is assumed to have like be correct. Now, obviously there, there are, you know, there are some cryptographically secure hash checks in there. So you, you do have to, it's, it's basically a DAG, right? It's like sort of a very simple blockchain. Um, 
but you you basically um, you basically have some very simple hash checks to make sure that things work. But there's all sorts of manipulations you can do to rewrite history, to push things around, to to move things. And Git's protocol does not enforce by default. Does not enforce that like if I'm pushing a bunch of commits, there's not a bunch of stuff that's tagged by Corsi coming in, even though they were literally all authored by me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a lot more to say on that outside of, right. Like you've got to be careful what you're doing with Git and you should be using sign commits, right? Like it, I mean, is that, is that what you would recommend? I mean, Dave, if, you know what? What, what are been, your thoughts there? We've been talking about signed commits for more than five years. I mean, we, you know, we tried and failed to, you know, proselytize that across the industry, and nobody wanted to listen to us. Um, and so we can we can try it again. You know, <laughs> this is the nihilist hour, so uh, <laughs> want to take bets on if people will. But listen this time, time. <laughs> this, time <laughs> this time it will work. <laughs> What, what is that about insanity? I, I, can't remember. <laughs> I think the interesting thing, though, is that the, the PHP folks are moving from their own self-hosted infrastructure to GitHub, mm-hmm. but yeah. they're, they're moving to 2FA, which, which GitHub itself supports, but they're not moving to sign commits still. Yeah, yeah. So they're like... It's kind of like we definitely, and I'm not, I'm not faulting the PHP folks for doing this because it's non-trivial to roll out GPG keys for literally everyone, but and then actually verify that those are being used and rotate them and everything. But it is kind of funny that uh, the the true solution, which is signed commits, is not what they're going for. They're just going for the simpler thing, which is like two FA on the org level at GitHub. Yeah. That's it. You know, I mean, I, I had this conversation like two weeks ago where I was talking with someone and they didn't understand the difference between authentication and authorization. And, mm-hmm. you know, these are things that we've been dealing with so long. And somehow we as the experts have not done a good job of portraying this difference to people. And so it's still just like I'm logged in, so I'm good to go across most of the Internet. And you know, for things that are now considered, you know, essentially critical services for half of the internet, like GitHub, um, people still don't understand the difference. Well, and I think I, I think it also points to something else you were saying earlier, Corsi, like we've been talking about signed commits for at least five years, probably longer. And if you if you go back to to email We've been taught like there were cypherpunks like trying to roll enough crypto by shaking their mice and, and typing things and getting enough data into dev view random or whatever it was on the system they were doing in the late 80s, early 90s. And PGP sucked back then and it's still today <laughs> and no one wants to use it. It's fucking awful. And it's not easy. And I can't blame the, P- the PHP like team for not wanting to roll out pgp across the entire org in order to fix this like that that's a really difficult fix it's it's hard it's not easy at all you know and i say yeah. this as someone who should be the exact person like with yeah. a ton of <laughs> pgp keys on my key ring that i have paper backups for and, and stuff and yeah. like you know i do but I, like i don't use that every day because it's very painful to use right yeah so now think about yeah. someone who's PGP, they, I mean, PHP, they have to like use this all the time. Forget it. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, and that, I, I mean, that's the same argument that we have on like, uh, you know, tokens for 2FA versus SMS is, you know, hey, how do you get someone that's not technically savvy to actually use something that uh, that is a better protection mechanism? And most of the time, they're just not going to do it, right? They take yeah. the path of least resistance, what's good enough versus, you know, what's the ideal I mean, I'm not I'm not developing any monstrous repos for a quarter of the internet, but for my own little trash development, my line is about if I have to type the password for my SSH key, like that's eh, it's questionable, right? <laughs> I think I think the best thing that I've seen for the normal people out there is probably YubiKeys. You know, a password manager and a YubiKey, so that you can touch it and everything just automatically works. Um, you know, so wiring all magically works. Commit yeah. Time. yeah, wiring all that together the first time obviously you know takes one of us. Um, but I I do think it's very interesting. So what Joseph Cox not not to derail from PHP, although we obviously to to tangent away for a moment. What Joseph yeah. Cox posted uh, just a little while ago about how it, it costs sixteen dollars to redirect yeah. all his SMS. Uh, from his phone to some you know, to to hackers he paid obviously, but to it only took sixteen bucks based on uh, based on some legal rules within the phone system. It it does make SMS based off uh, bad. And if you read NIST like NIST eight hundred sixty three B, it it is an authenticator level for level uh, for authenticator level one, basically to prove you have the device. That's about it. That's all it attests. But we yeah. don't understand that. We use it for all different things all the time, you know? Yeah, I, I, I mean, honestly, like along those lines, right? And that, that recently came out within the last week or so, right? The, his, his article there on Vice. Yeah. And, you know, I got thinking about it because I recently like ported a number off of Vonage or whatever it was, right? Like, you know, an old VoIP service. Um, but how easy it was to actually take over that, like that phone number somewhere else. And when I called Vonage, they didn't even know, right? Like it was just like, it all happens on the back end, and they just, it, all they see is, Hey, I know I'm, we're no longer receiving, you know, number requests for this specific number. They didn't know whether the account was active or inactive or, you know, they, they don't care. Right they're collecting their money either way. So it, it makes sense that it's super easy and it's super inexpensive to do because we keep driving down that cost. We keep driving down that, that barrier of entry and people want to keep their phone numbers. So we make it easy to port them, but it also makes it easy for attackers to do the same thing. And then we depend on it for security. And it's, yeah. a, I mean, it's just a mess, right? Like when it, when it comes down to it, it's really just a mess. And so PHP moving over to GitHub, that's their easy solution, even though that can't be an easy transition either, right? Like you think about the the amount of tooling that is required to build a system like that and to push that out to all locations and all the mirrors and you know all the distros that are dependent on it. So, yeah. I, I think they already had a mirror there. Okay. So I think all the infrastructure was in place and they just had to say that this is now the primary mirror and we're going to do As all our commits to- from there. Okay. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's correct. But it it's still 
even even with that, the fix is like they're they're doing the simplest thing possible, which is like two FA on the org, not even signed commits, which was the real issue to begin with, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I agree, but I think about it from the developer's perspective as well, and that the and. I mean, honestly, we've all dealt with developers for the last 20 some odd years, right? What are they going to do? They're going to take that easiest fix. If you have a list of recommendations and the first one takes, you know, two hours versus the third one, which takes two weeks, they're always going to do the first one, even if the security isn't as as good with it. So we can't fault them too much. That's just humans, man. I get the same from plumbers and basically everybody. Um, Yeah. You know, and I think that if you look at what probably they consider to be the root problem, it was the initial attack, not the fact that the commits looked like they yep. came from somebody else, but the fact that they got hacked in the first place. And so they think that by moving to GitHub, you know, they're shifting that liability to someone else um, and the effort of maintaining that repo to someone else. And yeah. so we'll never get hacked again. We don't have to worry about commit signing. Yeah. Well, well, was that even a discussion? Did commit signing even come up? Did you see anything about it? Because, like, I haven't seen it. All I've seen Only is from oh, other we're people. Okay. Yeah. 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 Only and, from other people. And also, I don't, I don't blame them for moving, but I really hope that no one had the SSH key material that they use for GitHub on the same <laughs> server that was compromised, because otherwise, this was an entirely moot point. Because now that SSH key is floating around somewhere else, <laughs> you know. Oh, I'm just making notes. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and yeah, it's <laughs> to, to Dave's point, right? How many of us actually put a password <laughs> on that SSH key material, right? <laughs> Oh, no, no. Well, I'll never use this for anything sensitive. Never. It's no. fine. It's only on my machine. <laughs> it's just That's a- the kind of password an idiot would use on his life. The most permanent thing in the world is when you say this is just a temporary quick fix. Right. So I just got to get this key working, make one yeah. quick change. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can't even, you can't even fault folks for using the same SSH key. Like, all right, quick, quick check. Who can generate a uh, an ed25519 uh, ssh key without looking up all the options right now of a specific length over a different curve like yeah yeah no. some no. of the things they just said were wrong like that shouldn't even be <laughs> that shouldn't even be there but people will try to do that and, and they won't necessarily know you know so it even even the basic oh. stuff like when i get a new laptop and i have to put new ssh keys in for github i'm just like uh it's been two years. Like yeah. I'm gonna have to spend an it's hour time, doing it's, this. <laughs> it's time to rotate. And di- didn't that come up? I think that was on one of the Slack channels. There was the Go. Oh crap! Now I need to find it. Um, there's a, some Go code. I'll, I'll pull it up here in a minute. But you guys can keep talking. I, I got to find this link because it, it's it's pretty hilarious when we start talking about key material and the options that are out there and how oh, all yeah. of yeah. Crap. I mean, it, 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 obviously, we don't have to like shoot off into crypto, but it, it is always problematic. Like we've known RSA is problematic for years. We've known that you should be shifting away to like, you know, uh, Ed DSA or, or Ed 25519 more generally, right, for SSH. And yet the vast majority of the keys that we see are still RSA keys rolled out everywhere. 
because most people probably just copy and paste from like, how do I generate an SSH key? <laughs> and that, yeah. that's because you don't generate them often, right? Like, yeah. Cause somebody yeah. got a, somebody got 13,000 points on stack overflow because 12 years ago they had a good answer to how do I generate keys? And now it's the top hit on Google. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's what most people will use. That's what, and there's all sorts of other fixes that you can do, right? Like SSH certs and things like that. But most people don't know how to roll out SSH certs. Most people don't even know that SSH supports certificate-based auth, let alone the fact that you can use cert-based auth and ephemeral certs for these sorts of things and, and fix a lot of these issues to begin with. Or two-person rule, like no loan zone, that sort of thing. There's all sorts of fixes that these orgs should have and they just can't. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know, like, you know, I, I, I don't know how to solve that problem. Right. Because I've, I, you know, in, in my time consulting, I've probably seen two or three orgs that have actually done something like signed commits. Right. And, yeah. and the amount of effort that they've put into that has been, pretty extensive. I mean, once they got it up and running, it works like a champ and they're rolling it, you know, up, but it's required concerted effort from the security team and the development team to make it happen. And then they have things like, you know, checks on top of that to make sure that somebody, you know, the right people are PRing things before they go live. It's, it's a process. It's not necessarily an easy fix. Um, or it's not easily implemented, I guess, is what I wanted to say. I, I've generally seen more orgs go with the four eyes rule. Like you have to have four sets, like, you know, you have to have four eyes look at something, two sets of eyes to look at something rather than like signed commits or anything like that. More, yeah. I've seen yeah. way more orgs deal with it at a procedural level than anything else. And that's just speaking about, that's just speaking about the validity of code. That doesn't, like you could push in, uh, valid code from someone who's not you and like the, the four eyes rule will do nothing for you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, I mean, they would still review it and they would think it was from me and it, it could still go in. Right. That's right. the, yeah. Well, it's, it's schizophrenic access control or it's, it's disjoint access control, right? Like the access to the system does not mean that you should be doing the, the actions on the inside. We check your SSH key, but then we assume that the, the, the git dag, the direct acyclic graph that you push push up is correct, right? And without signed commits, we can't like signed commits prove that it is correct or that you at least well, it doesn't prove that it's correct. It proves that you had access to the private key material, which is is different. <laughs> is different there. But it's at least another validity check that we just we're not doing and, and orgs aren't set up to do very frequently. So Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a hard I mean, it's a hard problem, right? Authorization is hard. And we're always looking as, I mean, as humans, we're always looking for easier options that are out there. But, I, you know, I mean, honestly, within the last two years of the assessments that I do and the code reviews that I do, the biggest flaws that I find nowadays are all authorization related. Um, and I saw, I saw one big government app that took authorization really seriously. Mm -hmm. And the the like the spreadsheet that we had created for the the PDP and the PEP was nasty. And every time new features came out and stuff like that, that was everyone's just like, oh god, we got to get that thing out again. Yeah, it's going to take us a week. 
Yeah, I, I've seen access policy matrices when I was doing government cons- consulting. You you had all sorts of things. And, and their access control systems in government, if you haven't seen them, they sometimes can be time-based. So like Corsi should have access to the system from like 9 to 12. And then the audit team of Stefan and or Seth can have access from 1 yeah. to 30. Uh, but they can only do an approval of something that they were not, you know, like it's, it's craziness. Uh, but the, the other interesting thing is even the, the nomenclature that we use, all three of us have used different words for the exact same thing on this call. <laughs> yeah. First, we're calling it authorization. Then we called it access control. There's like, you know, there's all sorts of nomenclature that you have for these sorts of things. And you can very easily confuse devs. The reason why I avoid saying authorization is when you shorten it, it becomes auth. And then it's like, well, did you mean authentication or, or authorization uh, or both? I just, uh, I feel cool when I get to say auth n versus auth z. So that's why I, yeah. I use that on purpose. Right. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, and I'm not faulting anyone, but I'm saying like, even amongst ourselves, we don't have a, a set definition of what we should be talking about, you know? Come on. Okay. Well, we're, we're going to come up with a list. It'll be Logic Hill's list of official list <laughs> of uh, security terms. It's going to go on the back of every report, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, it's, it's funny that we talk about this. Um, NIST and uh, CNSSI have, have these lists. Um, Bishop Fox has a really good style guide uh, that I've recommended to folks. It's just like a, a term list. But we do need these sorts of efforts in, in security. It's just, you know, obviously, well, if, you, if you use BFs, then, you know, someone else will use CNSI uh, for yeah. that line. And other people will be like, what did you just say? <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Well, I and mean, then, it, and that cuts across all industries. Sorry, go ahead, Corsi. Oh, I was going to say, and then Red Hat buys a startup that came up with their own list. And, you know, it just, it never ends. And we consolidate. And then six months from now, we're going to be back to having three different nomenclatures between the three of us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the same thing as like the different activities that we do, right? Like the, I mean, we talk about, you know, application security assessments or web penetration tests or, you know, dynamic assessments or, you know, everybody has their own like favored language for these, these things or, I don't know that the other one is the the push by OWASP by Brian and his team to start using like the, you know, CWE names for vulnerabilities as opposed to the OWASP names for vulnerabilities to try and, you know, have at least some sort of cross, I don't know what, cross industry, cross person, like description for these vulnerabilities and even that, right? Some of those pop up and I'm like, man, I got to go look that up. I'm not quite sure what that actually means or which part, which subset of vulnerabilities they're referring to um, with that CWE as opposed to what it was before. Um, yeah, I, I, again, hard problems and it, it all just, it, it doesn't matter what we do. It's all going to go to hell anyway, right? That's, that's well, where we're at. Yeah. And what's funny though is like when I worked in physics, you might uh, you might buy, you had to buy access to ontologies, right? So you would you might buy access to inspec, or you might buy access to like you know what other whatever geophysical society that you're working with, and you have to literally buy access to their their ontology in order to work with them, and then 
you're you're going through and you're trying to like rectify things across across that those two platforms and it's like it's the exact same thing it should be open and and easier but you know no one will agree like for example quick without looking it up how many of you have done cwss instead of cvss no i haven't yeah exactly like and the fact that CWEs have CWSS, which is a slightly better system than CVSS for rating things, I, I personally feel, and I know Brian Glass also uh, feels that way. It's like, it, you know, there's there's just so many systems. It's like that XKCD with like 14 competing standards. That's stupid. We'll make a one that fixes it. And it's like now there are 15, 15 competing standards. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I, it's. I, I mean, I don't think we're getting away from it. Man, yeah. we went all the way from like code <laughs> signing. <laughs> I, yeah. So there's another. So there's another tangent on the the PHP thing, and that okay. is do it yourself versus pay someone to host it. Right? We're so we're we're going back the other direction in the cycle towards, you know, big iron. Everything is somewhere else, and I'm just sitting at a dumb terminal. Um, this time it's a cloud instead of a mainframe, um, you know, but is it, is it really better in situations to pay someone else or do you take on more risk that your stuff is leaked when someone else has bad luck? Well, not to upset big Andy and smalls and, and soldier of Fortran, but uh, I don't think there's too much of a difference between like, like, you know, those sorts of like mainframe setups and other mm -hmm. people's computers and clouds and whatnot. But the difference is, is that you can, you can yell at, you know, GitHub or GitLab or, you know, uh, Atlassian if something breaks, right. Versus like, if you're hosting it yourself, like it, it all falls on you. It's like email. Mm -hmm. I don't want to set up email. I don't, <laughs> I'd rather. No, I, you I at gave that up. Yeah. Yeah. Forget it. Yeah. You know, yeah, because how many of us, I, I mean, that was it back in the day, right? I remember running my own little like stack oh, yeah. of computers down in my basement. And, you know, I did everything. And then, you know, when email went down and, you know, in the middle of the day and I get calls from my wife because the internets were not working, I was like, ah, hell, I got to like outsource this, right? Like, I, and again, you know, okay, where's the easy button? Where do I hit that? And porting everything to Gmail or to something else becomes a, you know, a very easy solution when you want, when you don't want to handle it by yourself. Um, but now, I mean, we have that opposite problem because when, okay, when AWS has an outage or when Gmail or Google has an outage, like how much of the internet just like breaks at this point? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. It, I mean, it, Slack goes down because AWS goes down, right? Like, uh, yeah, it's game over at that point. Yeah, which is hilarious because uh, like Slack has become a a major major uh, like cut point for so many organizations. They don't even realize that they like how much they rely yeah. on Slack to even know when to deploy something or when to talk to one another. You know. Well, yeah, yeah. You talk about how uh, innovative yeah. it was initially, right? We talked to chat ops, right, and about how oh, you know. A new like the bug bounty program all runs off chat ops because someone actually posts something there or, or GitHub notifies me when there's a new pull request and I can approve it directly through Slack. I don't check my email anymore, right? For those sorts of pull requests or for those sorts of approvals. So Slack or something like that goes down. 
business stops happening. I stop pushing and maybe there's triggers, there's bots that are monitoring that. Uh, like it, it's become a crucial, crucial feature to most organizations. So um, yeah, do you pull that internal again? I mean, Slack doesn't even really allow that, do they? Yeah, no, there's, yeah. there's some shadow IT in SaaS. And the, the problem is it's super easy to set up SaaS or, or PaaS or IAS or whatever and uh, and send a whole bunch of data over there and not realize that you're just sending data to someone who's not actually <laughs> like maybe PCI compliant or FedRAMP or whatever whatever you know thing you're doing. Because it's so easy to hook it up and just send data all over over a network, you know? Now you're done. It you is, read, you read the EULA, right? Yeah, yeah, you read the, you read the EULA. EULA. <laughs> right. I yeah, read I, all I, of them. <laughs> I never you know. do those. <laughs> yeah. That's but, that's my nighttime reading right there. Yeah, no one ever clicks through it. I thought that was NIST. I thought it was all the NIST references <laughs> can do. Well, it's those two. I, I mean, you know, I, I like to mix it up a little bit between NIST and EULA's. The other thing I thought was interesting, too, about this backdoor, just to bring it back to PHP, back to PHP, (laughs) uh, is is that the the backdoor looked pretty ham-fisted. I mean, it was not subtle at all in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't checked it out, you should go look at it because it's very easy to tell that that's a backdoor. I mean, I'm kind of... I'm kind of accepting of the theory that it was done that way on purpose, not to, not to embarrass anybody, but just to like, just to burn it, get it out there. Like they said, you know, Zerodium came out and said that we don't even know if anybody tried to sell this to us, um, but it definitely wasn't associated with us. Um, so it, exactly it doesn't, what they would say, <laughs> yeah, true, true. But it just doesn't look like anybody who's actually trying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. The HT agent or whatever there at the end of it. And it, I mean, it's directly calling eval, right? That, yeah. But as a quick test, how many of your clients or you internally, how many of your dev teams have enough reviews or enough tooling to lint when new code comes in that calls eval off of something that is a, a, a HTTP header or something equally trivial to get a background attack on. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, you know, and that goes back to, okay, what are you using in your pipeline? Uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, we've, I've been playing a lot with SEMGREP lately, right? Like, and that R2C stuff. And um, like, at least I would have been notified that, eval was being used there, right? Um, And could make that decision, but you're absolutely right. You know, most tooling, especially in a build pipeline, maybe won't catch that um, because they're gonna assume that somebody else is looking at it or maybe they would catch it a week later or a month later or a year later when they were doing their annual code scan or code audit, whatever you wanna call it. Yeah, and I don't wanna push to like, everything has to shift left and we have to have all this stuff in there in the CICD pipeline, but at least having like banned functions or things that flag problems in in your architecture or your system, regardless of whatever it is, like it it does help like, well, why are you pushing something that pulls in like user agent with two Ts into it, like into an eval or whatever the, the, it was something like very painfully obvious, you know? Yeah. 
yeah, user agent with two T's, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's not, that not, that's not suspicious at all. Right. Well, and uh, most people don't know this, but the history of HTTP actually has a misspelling in it. And that's the refer header. header. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it, it wouldn't be the first time that something would be specked in misspelled. Right. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. <laughs> how would you know? And maybe they were hoping that the, the fix would be rather than, um, Rather than someone flagging it and being like, why are you evaling this? It would be like, hey, you spelled user agent with two T's. Let me fix that for you, bud. (laughs) You know, like there's all sorts of things there. But it was very, maybe it was a trial run. I don't know. But it was was definitely painfully obvious with the right tooling. But not necessarily everyone would have caught this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's, I wonder if the only reason they caught it was because the, the, um, the commit tag said like fixing a quick typo but then they added that typo. So yeah. I wonder if whoever saw it was like, oh, well, there's another typo. I need to look at this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it it's pretty funny because it was signed off by Rasmus too. Yeah. Well, in fact, if you look at, if you look at the commit history, someone was like, did you intentionally spell agent with two T's at the end? Like that, that was the, that was the, that was the feedback. And then someone else was like, wait a minute, what does this actually do? You know? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you know, I, like it was, it was pretty funny to see. Like the first one is like the first person just looked at it and was like, well, you spelled it with two T's. Did you mean to do that? Like you should remove the second T. <laughs> so, and I don't well, even blame them. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. I mean, cause they probably looked at it and that's the first thing they saw. They didn't go down any further and they're like, oh, this is wrong, right? Like, let's push right. that back. Yeah. Rather than, hey, yeah. what's this actually doing? I'm not doing a code review on it. I'm just doing a quick sanity check. Well, and it, it does speak to many of our organizations and many clients. Like, how do they actually approve PRs? Because most people probably just like, yeah, that looks good to me. Did they actually look at it? Did they actually check it's doing what it's supposed to do? Did they run tests? Like, probably not. Like, yeah, I mean. No, it, Some we tests. know that they don't, right? Like we know yeah. that that's committed. Yeah. Right, right. And so getting to that point where you're doing all of those things is non-trivial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, I hope you have a really small code base because yeah. doing that, doing that across, you know, a large organization, like a big, any kind of big financial or big fortune 500, like it's impossible. You just never, never, ever don't even plan on it because you're never going to get there. We've all been on legacy financial legacy that is still being actively developed by a team of 50. Um, Financial applications in Java, in early versions of C Sharp, in COBOL. COBOL. That's one. (laughs) And like how many of those had end-to-end tests that that you could run trivially from your dev workstation to see if any given commit would actually not break things, right? Like, you know? I mean, yeah. for goodness sakes, I've seen ones that required prod data because they didn't even have enough, like, test data to, to do anything with. It had to be, like, tests had to be run in prod, right? Yeah, yep. Like, yeah, it was a, yeah, they would spin up a new instance on the on the mainframe, and that's yeah. where they would, they would just copy all the prod data and, you know, basically create a new virtual machine on there, run the tests. And then if it failed, oh, okay, then we kick it back. But yeah, yeah, yeah exactly what you're saying, right? It's not a, yeah, 
yeah, legacy data, right? right. Yeah. yeah. And, and there, like, honestly, it does speak to, and obviously I'm of course going to say this because I'm me, but it does speak to, we need better tools. We need better languages. We need better support for testing, for understanding our changes, for tracing things through our data flows from start to finish. Like, we, we just, uh, devs don't have that. And, and then we find all these nitpicky things as security people. And then we get to nitpick them to death on things that they can't easily fix or, or do right the first time, you know? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, but, but you're, you're going back to kind of that, the developers need to be trained in security issues um, or, you know, or they need to be given tools, like you're saying in languages that protect them from this. Um, and I don't know, I, I like, we're still dealing with struts. We're still dealing with COBOL. We're still dealing with early versions of C. And, and, I, and I just don't see this like one true language ever really coming to light. Um, I, I don't even think we need to. And personally, I would prefer asking, uh, a, like I would prefer going through a COBOL program and figuring out what that does than trying to figure out all the undefined behavior and, and unsafe behavior in a, in a arbitrarily large C or C++ program. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not at the level of like big Indian smalls or, or soldier of Fortran at all. Um, but COBOL has a much better defined semantic set than uh, an arbitrarily large, like you like undefined behavior in C++. Like, period, you know? True. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's like I talked about during my, my talk, like we don't do problem analysis. We don't have like architectural design records or anything like that for these things. Like, why do we choose that? I don't know. Uh, Corsi tossed an onion in the varnish like 200 years ago. And therefore we keep doing that because we've always done that, you know? Like, yeah. And we all know exactly what it is. It always yeah. comes back to the same place. It's a leadership problem. If you do not have leadership that supports growing your developers to where they need to be, they will never get better. And they can learn different language techniques. They can, they, they can get new modern frameworks that have some built-in protections, but they will never understand formal properties, any kind of advanced testing or anything like that, unless they're given the opportunity and the time to do it. Yeah. Well, well yeah. Even even beyond that, like just design docs, like if you don't have time to set up design docs or even know what you're doing, it's mostly slapdash, like I need to send this data over here. And that team is like, all right, I'll accept that data or whatever. There's no thought into like, do I need to send that data? Should they be having that data? Like any of, you know, like if you're not given the time at the most basic level, you're just doomed. I also posted the two, the Twitter handles of the two, the two folks that I've been mentioning here. Um, in case folks want to look up who I'm talking about. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I dropped them in there. It's a, I, I mean, mainframe world's a completely different thing. And, you know, it harkens back to the days of actual like computer science when they were developing these languages, right. And these platforms, this hardware uh, where it was more, more defined, uh, like the requirements, like the the amount of research that went into developing those language to make sure that it was doing only what you intended it to do, uh, use cases and testing. And we've gotten away from that, right? You started talking about open systems and how quickly languages developed. And, 
yeah, it, like even testing of languages, right? Like, you know, we're looking at PHP here. There's just not that same level of scrutiny that goes on. Um, but it does go back to the, the developer problem. It goes back to the leadership problem and what's actually like what the values are of that organization and whether or not they support like, like where security fits, where kind of definitions and requirements fit. Um, most organizations are out there to make a buck as quickly as they can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and can you, and can you fault them for that? No. Right. I, I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the world that we live in. Yeah. We move fast and break things. Mm-hmm. But we also no. we also leave legacy applications around and rely <laughs> on shadow IT, and then we we you know let all the the mainframe folks retire without training new folks. But we don't remove the mainframe shadow IT; it's still sitting there, right? And that stuff yeah. lasts forever until the machine literally dies. You know, I I talked to a, an application owner a while back, um, and they were planning on replacing this big legacy application and they were estimating seven years to, to rewrite the application in a, in a modern language like C sharp. And in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking there's no way it takes seven years to, to write an application. I don't care what you're making. Yeah. It just it, go well, get some interns. Well, the problem with those sorts of things where it takes seven years by the time, like they probably have some wild phased approach and they don't know the problem and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. by the time you're done, it's legacy already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, I, I was on a project that by the time I got access to it, it was already like 10 years over its 10 year modernization effort. And as far as I know, it is still going, they're still modernizing away from mainframes, even though there are people actively coding on mainframes and actively coding in a modern language from 1998. (laughs) Like, you know, know, it's just like, we, we have to think about things and to bring it back, like PHP, can't be faulted for just like doing the simplest thing in order to, to fix it. Right. Like unless someone's paying PHP to set up a, you know, a a system security officer, a field security officer, uh, you know, someone who can respond to security events who can help with, you know, uh, access control and all that sort of stuff. And they have a risk rating system and blah, 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 blah. Unless someone's paying for that. I can't fault PHP for like, yeah, I'm going to do the simplest thing. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I mean, it, it, isn't that Facebook's responsibility now? You know, they built hack off of PHP and, you know, they, or they forked it. Yeah. Interestingly, Facebook does not really have security teams anymore. Remember, Facebook got rid of their centralized security team and devolved their experiences to each of the individual engineering departments. That's true. So Facebook is like the worst example of this. Yeah. <laughs> And we know nobody upstreams anyway, right? You fork it and then that's, it's done. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's never getting pushed back to that main repository. No, never again. Oh man. Yeah. I, I I don't, that's just it. Right. Like, I don't know what the solution is. It's the problem is multi-phased, right? There's, there's multiple or multifaceted, right? Like there's, there's, there's many different, places where we're falling down and so the developers take the easiest way out or right like i'm creating a key 
I'm going to go to Stack Overflow and pull that one because I don't understand all those flags anyway. That's the easiest way for me to get there and get a key so I can actually submit my stuff. Um, that's what I'm going to do. And, and the same thing goes for developers like signing packages for deployment. Um, I mean, even in the app stores, right? You think about Android and iOS development, like Apple requires that I have a key, but they don't make it very easy. Like I can, I can do it all online on my, like within my terminal window and create the keys and everything that I need to, or I can just push that one button that Apple gives to me and they create it all and they store it for me. And I don't have to remember anything. And that's the way that, that I go. And every, you know, every year yeah. I just have to go renew it. Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I think similar to similar to like cryptography libraries, like I would never tell someone doing modern development unless they absolutely knew what they're doing to use Bouncy Castle. I I mean, there's so many sharp edge cases with Bouncy Castle or library like open SSL that like how do you tell a developer that you hate them? Like you just tell them, oh, it's (laughs) super easy fix in open SSL, just use uh use what library it exposes. Like they're going to code up something that's like broken. Like, I don't know if I could reasonably sit down even with the docs and code something meaningful against open SSL's API and assume it actually works correctly. And that's why Tink from Google and LibSodium and all the variants of LibSodium and Frenet and like Pi cryptography and all that sort of stuff exists. I'm not going to make the right choices. The API is terrible. It has sharp edges. Same thing goes with this process. It has a ton of sharp edges and is awful. And I can't blame them for choosing the simplest thing, even if it doesn't solve the root of the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I what I personally hope is that, you know, we're getting to some point where the 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 feature set from new releases are getting so much smaller, right? It's very diminishing returns on each version of PHP or whatever language. Um, and so we're going to get to some point where more developers are spending time cleaning things than working towards adding new features. Maybe that's a uh, um, wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my nihilist comes out when you say that, because <laughs> I, I don't see that same thing, right? Like I see people, uh, you know, and, and even personally, right? Like I'm looking at a code base that I'm working on. Um, what's more interesting, new features or going up and clean, going and cleaning out the code base from craft? Yeah. Developer yeah. velocity. We have to be moving forward <laughs> and and creating uh, technical debt at an ever increasing increasing rate. rate. Yes. Yeah. You know. I, I mean, I, I wish don't... I could. I oh, wish no. I could claim the claim credit for the joke, but I'm stealing it. But I saw someone on Twitter talking about how we security people are technical debt collection agencies. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. That's funny. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Right. Well, and, I mean, but that's the whole, I mean, that's the whole reason. And I, like this, this came back to it too. Like we're, we're offsetting risk. Right. Um, but the whole cyber insurance industry is built, is built on this, this property as well, because the more technical debt that we assume, the more risk that we also assume, and we're looking for someone that we can pay to assume that risk or that debt for us so that we don't have to fix it. And so the insurance industry has this ready, oh, sure, we'll assume it, right? Like everybody pays into this pot. When you get act or breached, it comes out of this pot. Well, h- hilariously. Until, you're, until your insurance company gets hacked. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, who do yeah. they go to? Right. You just posted that one. I mean, yeah. well, there's there's been at least two. CNA was just hacked a couple of days ago. Uh, Nexus Mutual, which is the big one in the blockchain space, they they were hacked, and for whatever reason, their CEO had like private keys to to access like millions of their tokens and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, you only you only assume that your insurance agency actually knows what they're doing, but they you have no idea. You're basically trusting them to to do what they say, yeah, which they I mean, may not, you know. If you've ever if you've ever been around any insurance of any sort, whether it's for your 97 Miata or your billion dollar Fortune 500, you realize that it's just some person with a checklist who barely knows what the checklist even means. And, you know, they let the computer do the rest. Yeah. The, it, it reminds me, there's an old Soviet joke about a, a guy being enlisted. And, uh, you know, he's a mathematician. And the, the sergeant is like going down the list of, list of things that everyone needs to know. And uh, he says, the boiling point of water is 90 degrees in centigrade. And the, the mathematician looks at the sergeant and says, uh, sir, boiling point of water is 100 degrees. And the sergeant pulls out the list a little bit further and squints and he goes, oh, that's right. Uh, boiling point of water is 100 degrees and the boiling point of a right angle is 90 degrees. And it's like they don't necessarily know what they're doing or anything like they're just going down a checklist. <laughs> they're, they're repeating it. Yeah. And that's not even to say compliance folks like I, I'm not. I'm not shitting on compliance folks. They have a, there are very technical compliance folks. They do Absolutely. wonderful jobs that we need them to do. Uh, however, very frequently they are not the ones involved in actually doing compliance. Most of the time compliance auditors are just like, they're just trying to get through a checklist and be done with it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, where I think where I really have a problem with the compliance industry as it were is where, marketing meets implementation, you know, like many other things, like there's people who really want to do a good job with making sure that you're meeting the standards and trying to protect your customers and stuff like that. And the, again, we go back to leadership, you know, and money, right? They get seven days to look at your 20,000 person organization with 2000 servers and stuff like that, you know, and it's done by interview. Yeah. Um, and and by the way, your organization doesn't have an asset catalog, so good luck getting that one going there, fucko. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what like you know, SOC two, right? That's like a choose your own adventure sort of security controls. That's I'm not even knocking SOC two. I think it bring bring value uh, if you if you really do work on it. It can absolutely bring value. But it can also just like paper over all of your horrible, horrible practices internally because you just choose yeah. security controls that match that, right? Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Awful. I, I mean, and, and, well, yeah, you know, specifically to SOC 2, that's the interesting thing, right? Like the organization chooses the controls that they want to be measured against. That's your, you know, type one. And then the control period is being measured against the controls that you picked out, right? Like, right. And so it's great. You have a SOC 2 type two, but that doesn't necessarily mean much of anything unless you dig into the results. Right. And right. or the actual like controls. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. I like it. Yeah. Well, we should do what, is come what's, up with our own solution? compliance standard. Yeah, we should. Right. Like, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous that there are 14 competing compliance standards. <laughs> Let's create a new one. I'd want, you know, like, it just, I don't know. Like, obviously we're not going to solve it on this call, but I, I, it's, 
we know what to do. We know how to fix these sorts of things. And we just like, we, 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 as an industry, we have failed even within our own minor organizations. Right. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's just it. Like I think about like my own personal practices and I, you know, I know I hit the easy button on a lot of this, right? Like I know I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I, I need to generate a new SSH key for GitHub. <sighs> All right. SSH key gen, you know, uh, what am I going to pick there? Ah, I'm just going to run with the defaults, right? Like it, I, yeah. honestly, you know, I, yeah. It's, yeah. It's the same password but that you used last time, but you append an A to it. Oh, it, that's more secure. No, 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 no. I picked the year. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Year and season. Ooh. <laughs> but, and, and it's it's like the cobbler's children have the worst shoes, but also all of the other children have no shoes. And uh, and the cobbler is also standing in the town square castigating everyone for having terrible shoes, while yeah. also barefoot simultaneously himself. Like, you know, <laughs> like, I, I don't even know what else to say about it. It's just, it's like, I can't fault PHP for doing this. I think I'm glad they caught it. Obviously, it's much better than like, by the way, everyone, we've had a backdoor in PHP for the last six months. Uh, so if you've installed the latest version of PHP, you should do an audit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right now. <laughs> You're going to want to call Mandiant. <laughs> well, and actually, interestingly, I wonder if there are people who track head and build and run them in sensitive areas that they should not have run them in. Uh, they could. I, I mean, honestly, right? Like is, yeah, again, is Facebook pulling this down and running it, right? Like, is they're creating their ha their version of hack or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I, like, you know, there's, there's gotta be organizations that are out there that do that. I, and you think about yeah. red hat, you think about some of the distro owners that they want to get ahead when stuff comes out, what are they going to do? Red hat will backport this feature in six years. It will be available <laughs> in, uh, in red hat enterprise Linux. Well, with a different version number. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course. So I think right? I think in this specific scenario, those people that are on the bleeding edge are okay because it was caught so quickly. And those are usually the overly technical people who can look at the code and see if it affected them or not. If this had lasted six months or something like that, and those people who updated maybe three months ago, I think, before Joe quit, um, those are the people that suffer. Yeah. Well, yeah. The there, we're lucky that it was caught basically because if this wasn't caught, this would have yeah. been all over the place and it would have been a problem, even though it was a bit Again, of a backdoor. It, it would have been the fourth monstrosity of 2021. <laughs> well, I was going to say though, how many things that you run right now did not catch this vulnerability though? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, this is just PHP. I mean, there's enough eyes on it, there's enough development, development eyes. I, I, I mean, that's like that. Um, there was another one that just came out, like the Secure Codes guys came out with like a, what, it was the network, whatever library for, oh, where, hold on, I just pulled it up. Yeah, it was the NetMask library from oh, NPM. Yeah. Oh, used yeah. By like 200, is it 2.7 million projects, right? Like, yeah. At, and it's, it's insanely easy, like the, the the exploitation on it. But let me drop it in here. Well, everyone on this call uh, checks every package before they brew install them, right? Oh, of course. 
Of course, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, for one, look at every single package that I uh, I use. In fact, I uh, I was just talking with Unix Ninja about this. I I have wanted to move away from brew because I feel like I've gotten lazy. I don't code things. I just look for a brew package that like roughly does what I want it to. And then even if it like includes a whole bunch of attack surface that I don't need or want or desire, I just like yeah. install it and that's it. You know? Well, I mean, we used to pipe to bash. We still yeah. do, but we used to too. <laughs> now yeah we've we, we've increased the surface instead of yeah. taking it down because yeah. now yeah. it's now, now i just give up my credentials and let it run whatever it wants <laughs> well, well i always i always love the people who are like don't pipe to bash that you know blah blah blah. it's like okay so you know dot slash configure and and make would totally not be just as problematic right like you're yeah. doing that stuff too right like yeah uh, no no one's reviewing many, many eyes yeah like Many uh, many eyes make light work. Assume that the eyes are actually interested in the problem domain that you're you're interested in, which is to say they're not. No they're one's not yeah. anything, and everything's broken, and uh, and then you get hacked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's, yeah, it, it's how we end up with a ship that blocks the Suez Canal, right? Like you know, <laughs> it draws a phallus in Suez <laughs> Canal. That's my favorite part. <laughs> oh man yeah like, I, I like the, the the dependencies that are there right like I, we all know open source developers right like you know half of those projects are abandoned or they only get updates once once every couple of years when somebody complains loud enough and hits the guy up on twitter multiple times right it's like no one's reviewing that stuff I, I like i always talk about this with npm the amount of packages that go into that repository on a daily basis yeah, there, there's no there's no way in hell that GitHub at this point can actually monitor all of that, right? I, well, yeah. yeah. Remember LeftPad? Does anyone remember the LeftPad debacle? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. There was stuff that like had in no way, shape, or form anything to do with LeftPad or padding, and people were like, like it broke. I don't, I don't even remember how many packages it. It just it was, broke it was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, because we. Yeah basically built up this like pile of dirt you know topped upon t piles of dirt and then we're surprised that like oh open source people are not constantly on the ball it's it we basically are exploiting labor at this point right like i when i first started my it career i was a programmer in c sharp way back in like c sharp one in two days and then i i got i stopped programming and i got into networking and server engineering and um, systems engineering. And then I got back into programming. And when I got back, we had things like package managers and, you know, just pull your dependencies at runtime and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, I'm looking at these people and I'm like, no, I'm just going to write the code that does that stuff, you know, and I'm the weird one because <laughs> I want to like control my code, you know, and eventually they won out, right. I'm lazy as hell now. I just include everything NPM has to offer, but it was a huge mental shift from knowing every line of code that I ran to just import the world. Yeah. I, I mean, we've always outsourced that. Like we've always depended on things like PHP and, you know, like at least like from a language perspective, but we are including more and more libraries. It's not, it's no longer just the standard libraries, right? From C yeah. and C++. Now it's, 
oh, there's this, you know, specific version, you know, this package in Django that kind of does what I want it to do. Um, and then, uh, so we pull that in and we modify it. And then you're dependent on this old version of the package because you've changed things up. And now that has a vulnerability. You've got to rewrite your entire subsystem to take it. Yeah, it, it, it's just a, it's a different paradigm and and we're making it worse over time, right? We're, we're adding more debt to the pile rather than, than cutting it out. So. Yeah, and, and it's like on the one hand, you want people to use libraries, right? Like I don't ever want to be like, don't use libraries, like static code, everything that like, but you know, because then you can update and you, you know, get new formats. And you, I certainly don't want anyone coding any more file formats. That is like a huge area of attack that no one knows how to like, like quick uh, code ASN one parser without any vulnerabilities. I'll, I'll, uh, I will not. What, what, what is, how many, how many ASN one parsers are in the Linux kernel? There's like six or seven. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, for example, just, uh, just as a simple example, when, when uh, we did the Kubernetes audit, we found like 10 different like port parts. So just port, like parse, a port number, we found like 10 different instances of libraries that parsed port numbers in the Kubernetes ecosystem. Because people would just be like, oh, I know what to do. And they no, no one knew what to do. They were all doing different things. Like it had nothing to do with anything, you know? Yeah. Well, and this goes back, I, I mean, honestly, last week, uh, Ken and I talked about like secondary contexts and attacking applications through secondary contexts. And this is part of the problem that we run into there is, you know, hey, there's no standard way to actually handle this. There's no RFC that actually lays this out. And programmers, I mean, we never, we ignore the RFCs after we look at it anyway, but right, like there's no standard way to do this. So we implement multiple different ways. And now you've got two different parsers of the port competing or, you know, parsing it in different ways. You may be able to take advantage of that um, to, uh, you know, exploit the, the app or whatever. So it's it's all there. So yeah, no, there's no. there's no there's no good way of handling this. Um, no, so yeah. so that's just it. Like what 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 are, you know, we can close it out, right? Like because I know we've been going for more than an hour, and now we're just evolving into the world sucks, and we all just need to go <laughs> become farmers again. Um, but like, plumbing's hard, man. I wouldn't want to be a plumber. <laughs> I don't want to be a plumber either. <laughs> I've had the concrete guys here. I don't want to do that either, right? Like yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm doing plumbing at my house currently, and it's it's uh, it's miserable. Like I don't, I wouldn't want to do that all day for other people. Like I have to deal with my own plumbing and then deal with your plumbing. Your like no, 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 we're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, how do we put a bow on this though? Right? Like what what? I have a question. Yeah, I have a question. Are we ever going to get to the point where some of the libraries that are critical core functionality, so crypto authentication, things like this? are done and formally verified and everyone just uses this library. Well, Microsoft, so if you're very interested, and I've, I've ranted about this before, Microsoft has done this with Project Everest. So if I recall correctly, the Windows Server TLS implementation is actually lifted from MITLS, which is a formally verified, formally specified TLS implementation that avoids like Poodle and and you know, lucky 13 and all that stuff. Um, you know, there's like, they actually did this work and it is being used by windows. Now, 
how many people are using that outside of Windows is a different question entirely. But like, I really think this is tin stoffel, right? There's no such thing as a free launch. And unfortunately, open source is amazing. It has done amazing things for the world. But I think we forget that this is all labor and someone has to be doing this work. And there's like, there's no free lunch. Like just because the source is free doesn't mean that someone didn't like put in effort in order to make this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yep. Like the, yeah. I, I don't maintain many popular like uh, libraries, but I had one that was like brief, like fleetingly popular. And I remember getting a, a request from a large, like multi-billion dollar organization for a, a, a format. To, it was an image format parser. And um, I was like, yeah, that's great. We'd love to support that, but I don't have time. If you want to support it, like issue a PR and I'll review it or like pay me to do it. And they're like, but, can't you just do it? And I was like, no, (laughs) I am literally uninterested in this. It's some ancient format that no one needs. So I'll do it, but you have to pay me or you can do it and I'll PR it in. But they just assumed because I'm a, I was an open source maintainer that I'll do this. And these are the backs of people who were now expecting to also do security, by the way, don't, don't fuck up anything so that my organization is hacked. Yeah. You know, Good luck. Go get them. <laughs> well, and that's, yeah, that's just it. That's where all those supply chain attacks come from. Right. I, and, and, and also the, the, uh, the supply chain takeovers and everything else that's going on there is open source developers get tired of that and they move on because they have to, yeah, they have to earn anyway. Yeah. There's, uh, I'm posting the link uh, to MITLS too, which is super fascinating. Um, but it's written in a, it's written in a, like, but here's the other thing. MITLS is written in a dialect of F sharp. Okay. So already I've lost like three quarters of the room by mentioning F sharp. <laughs> Ignoring that it's .NET, but F sharp. It's written in a dialect of F sharp and it has formal specs and proofs. But yeah. like most people, like, and formal specs are not nearly as difficult as most people assume. But most people look at that stuff and they're like, it's too mathy. I don't need to do it. Uh, my code is secure. Uh, you know, or secure enough, even though yeah. there's simpler fixes for these things that can be out there. We're like, we, we have a lot of problems to solve. And I, I don't think it's things that individual developers need to do. I think it's things that we need to bring in tooling, in languages, et cetera, in order to th- make things better. Like, when was the last time either of you saw a SQL injection that was uh, against an application that it mattered? Like, I've seen, I've seen one in the last like in the last year, I've seen probably three, um, now uh, three in the last two years. Now compare that to where we were 10 years ago. Yeah. I've yeah. seen one in the last five years uh, working with John Callahan. Um, and yeah, ever since then. I think Seth had to, to step yeah. off for a second. But yeah. Yeah, I, ever since then, nothing. Nothing exactly. There's there's so few things that that we we actually have that rely on uh, rely on, on SQL injection anymore, or or are vulnerable to SQL injection or XSS. How many times have we had that discussion too? Right. Yeah. Like yeah, I I got in a public argument. We brought this guy in to like run a CTF for a bunch of developers, uh-huh. um, and he was or I was doing an intro and I was going on a rant about how XSS is not what people make it out to be. 
And he said, but we just had this big one from British Airways that was XSS and they got credit card data and all that. And so I went and looked and it wasn't XSS. It was just unauthorized commits where they added JavaScript to the code base that siphoned cards. It had nothing right. to do with cross-site anything. Yeah. No. Well, I, oh, and this goes back to, like, I know, like, Stefan and I were talking about this recently is just like XSS is not like as much as people pay out for it and bug bounties. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how often do you actually see an attack that uses cross-site scripting? Right. Like, I, I mean, can you even yeah. reference something back? And this goes to the SQL injection as well. And most, most injection attacks, right? Like, yes, it was common 15 years ago for the scanners to go find ASP pages and like just enumerate through finding SQL injection and then injecting into the database, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, you know, within the last year, I've actually seen a couple of SQL injections, but again, it goes back to the legacy code that they developed it. It was like 15 years old and like they were still using a, you know, a specific portion of the API that was using string concatenation, right? Like they knew that it was an issue. Um, but cross-site scripting specifically is one that I just have, a, I have a hard time reporting it to people anymore, even when I find it. Cause I'm like that the risk, is not commensurate with the attention that we give it. It's well, not. Yeah. Like I, I know a few markdown libraries have had issues with it or they've had issues where they accidentally expose the wrong thing to context. And we have think related things like, you know, uh, server side template inclusion and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I, I, again, at the end of the day, like, it's definitely trending down in terms of how often we see these sorts of attacks because we had better frameworks, because we had better tools. And I think probably the next big focus area, and we're starting to see it with SEMGRAP and we're starting to see it with other areas is as we shift left, quote unquote, um, we're, we're going to see a lot of these sorts of issues get caught by tooling and get built up by tooling there. I, I think that's the bow. Eventually yeah. these things will just be like CICD pipeline stuff. Now, if your CI/CD pipeline gets hacked and it has access to like you know Vault and everything, then you're in trouble. But like, there's only there, like I I do think a lot of these things will start to trend down eventually as well. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's my it's, turn it, to be it, the nihilist. Okay, go for it. Dave. Yeah, <laughs> we've been saying nice. we've been saying that for ten years with all the static analysis and all the DAST and everything saying, oh, we're just we're just gonna find all the XSS now automated. You just run this and you got them all. Well <laughs> but I think I think the difference is though that we've also shifted so we we've shifted the Overton window of what vulnerabilities we're looking for. Like XSS and SQL injection, those had to be fixed at a framework level. You can't you yeah. just can't do it whack-a-mole style. There's there's no, no. way and I think it took admitting to ourselves that developers should not be writing raw HTML and should be using something else is what it took. And we don't like that. Like, look at humans in general. We don't like to admit when we need to have guide rails. Like, we don't like it. But we very quickly adapt to having guide rails. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I can't believe we lived without guide rails before, you know? Like we used to, people used to fight having safety belts in cars. Could you imagine getting into a car that doesn't have a seat belt anymore? (laughs) Right. Freedom. Yeah. 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 Well, I, 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 and that goes back to, yeah. 
I have a constitutional right to write bad code. No, no. I, I mean, you say that, we laugh about it, but that was the whole issue. Like my my initial test bed for security were uh, college campuses because academic freedom was the number one thing. Like they wanted to be able to run whatever they wanted, wherever they wanted, with whatever software they wanted. So if I wanted to go try out the latest Windows, you know, exploit or Metasploit, whatever, right? There was there was a ready test bed for me <laughs> at these campuses where every single device on there had a publicly routable IP address, was not protected by any sort of firewall, right? They had their one section that was like the administration that was all protected, but the rest of the network was wild, wild west, right? And, and it all went back to this idea of, you know, oh, academic freedom, right? Like, you can't tell me what I can do as a professor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's the same thing that, you know, you, you're saying, Stefan, is now now it's no longer the case, right? Like, oh, I can't believe we did that without guardrails. And I'm like, but you did, right? Like, that's that's why I know what I can do because I did it on the, in these, well, I, I allegedly did it on these networks <laughs> one time or another. It's been more than seven years. It's okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, like we, we very often don't want to live with guardrails until we have guardrails for certain things. And then it's like, you know, man, I can't believe I used to like, like chainsaws or anything right remember remember chainsaws like 30 years ago versus now like you know not, like, there's a huge safety difference we've made huge advantages and we we need to honestly do the same thing with with code it's just we're shifting the overton window of of those sorts of things as well you know yeah yeah so well and i i guess that's it right like that's what you're saying is it, it is getting better there's things that you can do to make sure that your own little world is safe and I mean, as much as we we say we can't blame the PHP developers for taking the route that they did, um, it's also like, hey, that route was available to them, right? 20 years ago, it probably wasn't. Right, right. You know, you know, so there's options, yeah. But should, like, if you wanted to say, like, check the authorization system that you built uh, in some generic way, like, good luck with that that sort of thing, like, you know, unless you have tests or unless you have invariance there, excuse me, and you understand your own system, like, good luck with that, bud. Yep. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, that was a, you know, a good hour and 20 minute rant on PHP and authorization and all things, you know, granted, we, you know, we haven't solved anything. I didn't, I didn't think we were going to, but um, I appreciate both of you coming on, you know, helping me out this week. Yes, Thanks for happy us. to be here. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll have you both back on. I, I mean, Dave, especially, I, I still want to have that discussion about consulting versus, you know, working internal for an organization, kind of what the difference there is. Um, and Stefan, you'll come back on and rant about something at some point too, I'm pretty sure. So. Absolutely. I'm always happy to come on. <laughs> cool. Any last minute thoughts before we call it for this week? Drink your Ovaltine. No. Drink your Ovaltine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> come up with a new standard we'll promote it All right. yeah exactly yeah okay well thanks everybody for joining today um we'll catch you all next week ken will be back and yeah thanks again thanks bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.